Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 701 for October 16th, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchat's back with Programming by Stealth 127 of X. And we're going to dig into phase two, Bart. Hit, hit the ground running, right? We are indeed hitting the ground running. We are getting to finally introduce to you one of my favorite, favorite, favorite JavaScript toys. I I am such a, a fan of the whole Node ecosystem, and I've been not... I've not been able to share it with you because there's been no excuse to. And now, gosh darn it, I found an excuse and we're having fun. So you have mentioned Node a lot of times. I thought you hadn't. So I went back and looked. You mentioned it in episode 12. You talked about it in reference to JS Doc in 24. And then when we installed your Bartificer link toolkit, when you wrote that, you, they, you talked about it in episode 25. Yeah, but we never really used it. We just... No, not in anger. Yeah, we just teased it like... Yeah, it's it's going to become our workhorse. It's basically the toolbox into which all of our cool developer tools are going to be collected. So it's it's going to be very important. So okay, yeah. So really, phase two, I want to start by building out that toolbox. We we need to to have all of our tool. We we need a giant big tool belt, sort of you know Batman style, before we get stuck in. Um, and so the next few installments are going to be building up that tool belt. Um. We may have some guests, we may not, um, but we shall see, um, some guest teachers. But for now, uh, today you have me, and I basically, this is to introduce you to something called the Node Packet, not Packet Manager, it's not a networking protocol, <laughs> the Node Package Manager and Node itself, which obviously the two sort of come together. So we... <sighs> Hypothetically, we could find every developer tool we want, install it on our system at a like a, you know an, an OS level, and then we could use those tools, and that would work. But that comes with a few drawbacks. You need admin access to install things system wide. You can only have one version of a specific tool when you do it system wide. But what if you you know, get an open source project from here that needs version two and you get another open source project from there that you want to contribute something to and it needs version four and well, what do you do? Uninstall, reinstall, uninstall, reinstall? That might make you a bit or, cranky. Or update over here because you, and then that one you can't. That sounds like a mess. Exactly. That is one of the most common messes out there in, in its uh, dependency hell is, is a phrase for it. Um, and the other thing then is when one of your tools goes on a big jump from a version two to a version three, and you have to retool your projects, if you have one version system-wide, you have to retool all of your projects at the same time. Yeah, that doesn't sound like any fun. Yeah, so it would be much nicer if you were able to have different versions of different places. So actually, what you want for developer tools is to have them very, very local to your project. In fact, ideally, within the project itself, so that you could have five projects on the go and have five different versions of the tool if you want, but keep it. So not just by user, but by user by project. Yeah. Exactly. Keep them okay. right local in the project. They're part of the project. Keep them together. Um, and that means that you can, you know, you could manually manage all of those copies. But that also sounds like a chore. I don't want to have to look after it myself. I want to have my cake, but gosh, I don't want to eat it too. So that's sort of the problem to be solved. And since our milestones for phase two, like uh, our first two milestones are entirely JavaScripty. Well, our developer tools are also entirely JavaScripty. Everything we're going to be using is JavaScripty. So we need something to manage JavaScript packages, which is where the Node Package Manager or NPM comes charging into view. It is going to put manners. Can I can I interrupt you and make you elaborate on what do you mean by developer tools? I mean, I've got uh, a text editor and I've got a Git application, those aren't developer tools. They are. You mean something else. They are, but uh, they, they are the start of our toolbox, and they're very important tools in that toolbox. But we definitely are also going to have a code linter. We're going to have a test suite. We're going to have a documentation generator. We're going to have something called a bundler or a packager. So those tools that we haven't really used yet, we've sort of kind of mentioned the documentation generator, JS doc, but... Not in any. That's great when you detail. talked about a uh, node. You t you definitely taught us about node when we did uh, the the JS doc section. Yeah, which we didn't do particularly well because it stuck about as well as as something not very sticky on <laughs> Teflon. You know. <laughs> 
like an off-brand post-it note on Teflon. Yes, there we go. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Yeah, I, you'll notice I, I did have to go look it up and write little notes down going, that sounds vaguely familiar, but it wasn't like, I remember thinking at the time going, I should really understand what note is and I don't. Yeah, so let, let's try to do better this time around. Okay. Uh, first off, there is, if you would like, a zip file for later. Um been a while. I had to go find where to copy and paste the stuff for the show notes. I was like, ooh, back to 120, I see. Anyway, there, there is a zip file. There's not much in it, to be honest. You can copy and paste from the show notes just as easy. But for completeness, I did do a zip file. Okay. So the Node.js JavaScript runtime is the brains of the operation here. So. Up until now, every time we have executed JavaScript, with the exception of the time we did JS doc that we don't remember, we have been using the browser as the thing that takes the JavaScript and makes it go, right? The browser has been running our JavaScript for us. It has been executing the code for us. Right, right. And that means that we have been writing a combination of the pure JavaScript language and the DOM, which is a browser-specific addition to the core JavaScript language. So, I mean, the browser has obviously many great advantages. Like, if you want to write a web app, the browser is a pretty good place to do that, being a web browser and all. But it does limit what JavaScript can do. Um, One of the biggest limitations is that the browser sandboxes JavaScript to within an inch of its life, right? JavaScript can't open files. JavaScript can't interact with running processes. JavaScript is basically boxed into a little window like a bad French mime. It's extremely confined in the browser environment by design because it's other people's code running on your computer. But Node.js isn't in the browser. Node.js is a mechanism for executing JavaScript code as if it was Perl code or C code or Ruby code or any other type of code. It's not confined in the browser, so it can do anything that the operating system will allow any other code to do. So that means that when you're writing JavaScript in Node, you have the core JavaScript language and a whole bunch of APIs brought to you by Node, so you can do things like open a file, read a file, write a file, connect to a database, all that kind of cool stuff that the browser absolutely positively will not let you do. So it's unsandboxed JavaScript, which is cool straight in and of itself. Sounds terrifying, Bart. Well, powerful. I'm gonna I'm gonna write I'm gonna write JavaScript code that can touch my files on my Mac. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, okay. we, actually, that's that's an interesting point. We haven't been outside the sandbox. We, we, we've we been playing away in a place where we can't damage things. That is interesting. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> well, we started in a little bitty sandbox, and then you let us go to a bigger sandbox. That is and now true. We're into, yeah, because yeah, it's going to be anarchy now. I literally wrote us a JavaScript sandbox so we could play with pure JavaScript without the browser complications. So that, right. Yeah. That was a while ago. Goodness me. <laughs> um. Now, Node.js is extremely powerful. So it has an extremely good networking stack. That's one of its best features. So Node can act as the brain to almost any kind of server. Like if you need something that receives email over the over the SMTP protocol and then does something based on incoming email, Node.js is fantastic for that. Tell it to listen on port 25 and it'll churn through email. Node.js can act as a web server, listen to port 80 and 443, and it can do web server backend stuff. A lot of chatbots are written in Node.js these days. It's, it's an extremely powerful language with a very good networking stack. Um, and it can even, you, I mean, you can create terminal apps with it, command line apps, and you can even do GUI programming with it if you so wish. So it is a very, very powerful runtime. So it's JavaScript, but JavaScript unleashed? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a okay. very good description of it, pretty much. Uh, the other nice thing about Node.js is it's free, open source, and cross-platform. So all words we oh, like. Good. So everyone can play along, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Node.js is not a browser. I've just basically explained to you how brilliant it is that Node.js is free from the browser sandbox. But ironically, Node.js's origins are 100% browser. One very, very specific browser, Google's open source Chromium browser, is where Node.js's origins are. So when Google went to do their own web browser, one of the things they wanted to do was to make JavaScript not suck. 
the early the early days of JavaScript on the web, the JavaScript was it was seen as a toy, and the thoughts of writing a game in JavaScript were hilarious because the performance of JavaScript was atrocious. You just couldn't do gaming and stuff like that in JavaScript. So rather than taking an existing open source JavaScript engine like SpiderMonkey, which is a great name. So Firefox uses something called SpiderMonkey to execute JavaScript. And SpiderMonkey has come on a long way since uh, 2008. Um, But nonetheless, SpiderMonkey at the time was certainly not up to the job. And so Google decided to invent their own JavaScript engine from scratch And I've used the word engine here more times than you can shake a stick at. And someone in Google had a great sense of humor. So when you think of an engine that's fast, what do you think of? A stonking big V8, right? Uh, Okay, yeah. So they named their JavaScript engine V8. It's not version 8. It's V8 as in broom broom. (laughs) Nice. You know, in a Ford Mustang or whatever you're having yourself. So... V8 is the engine that powers JavaScript inside Chrome. And it's the engine that powers Node.js. So V8 is what makes Node.js go. But it's no it's V8 so, outside so the browser. So Node.js didn't exist Node.js didn't exist until Chromium existed? Correct. Node.js is I quite modern. Chromium was relatively new. Two thousand and eight. I thought Node.js I'm sorry? Two thousand and eight is when Chromium released. Wow. I'm getting old fast. That's a year after the iPhone. I would have sworn that was like five years ago. That's a year after the iPhone. (laughs) Isn't that scary? I don't know. I I think pre-iPhone and post-iPhone is how we think of the world. But anyway. (laughs) So that gives us the node part of this thing. Uh, But Node.js weren't interested in just taking JavaScript outside the browser. I mean, the, the... I mean, it it would be useful to just take JavaScript outside the browser. But what Node.js got very, very right, and they got it very right, not because, well, I mean, they they were smart people and they did a great job, but they don't deserve, like, infinity credit because basically they had the luxury of being late to the party. (laughs) So it is very difficult to have a good system for bundling code in a nice self-contained shareable reusable kind of a way or if you're going to use the jargon what you need is a packaging system for your programming language and the problem had been tackled many times before ruby has gems perl has cpan and while cpan was sort of the original and CPAN has many good things going for it. And CPAN, before CPAN and after CPAN is, a, is an absolute game changer. CPAN was amazing. But CPAN got dependency hell very, very wrong. Uh, Node.js had the luxury of seeing everything that was wrong with CPAN and fixing it. Because they don't have okay. decades worth of old stuff to support. They have a completely blank sheet and lots and lots of other people's mistakes to learn from. So you haven't specifically said today what what dependency hell means, and my understanding is it's like when you say, okay, I want I want this library, and it says, okay, well for that library you need these five libraries. You say, okay, give me those five libraries, and then for each one of those it says I need seven more, and it's just this spider <laughs> this spider monkey <laughs> of uh, all these dependencies upon dependencies upon dependencies. That's that's already hellish, but actual dependency hell takes that to another level. So you What's want that? packages A and B. And package A depends on version 2 of package C. And package B depends on version 3 of package C. And you oh, can only have that... one copy of package C if you use CPAN. So you now have to choose. You can't have both. Oh, yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. With, okay. with Node.js and its package manager, NPM, that's what NPM is, it's the Node Package Manager, you can have a dependency, you can have A, which needs C version 2, and B, which needs C version 3, installed at the same time, and they won't fight. They will share if they no. can. Oh. They will share wow. if they can. And if they can't, they'll each have their own copy. That's impressive. Massively impressive. And, and that, is, that is the single thing that they got so very, very, very right, is, is that mechanism for dealing with dependencies. And so... With Node.js with no and NPM, you just basically say what you want and you get it. It, it just works. 
So you must have lived through CPAN with, uh, I remember you told us about CPAN when you taught us about XAPASSWD. Yeah, the reason that the terminal command for for XAPASSWD doesn't work on the Mac is because of CPAN problems. Oh, wow. And huh. I'm depending on a package. But it will. It will when we rewrite it with NPM as its brain, yeah, and then it will be no more of this messing about. I mean, CPAN has worked so well for so long, but if you get yourself into a, you can back yourself into a corner you can't get out of. And then you're just into a world of compromise and not the good kind of compromise. Okay. So... When we did in recent times, we've done a couple of these series within a series kind of things, right? When I taught you Git, we spent weeks on end and we learned all the Git, right? We we did Git in great detail, and then we moved on and we did Shamois and we did all of Shamois in great detail. I'm not going to do that with Node and NPM. We could easily spend twenty installments on Node and NPM easily. No, yeah. we're not. Go- we probably will eventually. But we're not doing it that way. So we we're are just going to get it as we need it. Bingo. So today I'm I basically like drawing a sketch of the full painting and we're going to color it in as and when we need it. And the reason I want to give you the full sketch is because otherwise the bits we're coloring in won't make sense. Like, how, how do you hang something on a scaffold you haven't built? But we're not going to fill in the scaffold. We're, we're going to explain Node in a big picture. We're going to play with it a little bit because it's fun to write some code. And then we're going to learn Node and NPM as and when we need them in small bite-sized pieces with the advantage that we have an immediate learning experience, right? We have a problem to solve. Here's the solution. So... It's not abstract. It's not, you know, hypothetical. It's like, we have this problem today. Ta-da! We have a solution. I like that. That sounds like uh, instant gratification to me. I I see nothing wrong with this plan. Excellent. So why do we need NPM, or indeed Node for that matter, right? We need it for a number of different reasons. So the first thing we're going to be using NPM for is for dependency management. So we are going to use NPM to go off and automatically fetch any open source JavaScript stuff that we need. So instead of us going and down, like you're always asking me, how do I know which version of whatever to download? We're going to be doing no more of that. Node.js is going to do it all for us. So Node.js can use the same syntax to pull in JavaScript I've written right here in this project and JavaScript from the internet. It it doesn't care where it came from. You can incorporate it into your code in exactly the same way, which is fantastically useful. And it also has this massive library of free and open source JavaScript modules over at npmjs.com. It may actually be millions of packages. If not, it's like tens or hundreds of thousands. It has all so the let me, famous. Let me stuff. stop you right there yeah? for a minute. So we're no longer going to be pointing our code at uh, CDNs, correct? At content delivery networks, correct? We're just done with that. We don't. Have, we're going to use npm whenever we need to. Yeah. Huh. No more of that faffing huh. about trying to find the right link. All going to be taken care of. So instead of you trying to figure okay. out where to get Bootstrap, you're going to say npm space install space Bootstrap. And I'm not going to tell it which version I want. Uh, okay, we may need to. I, I, I need that. to check the exact syntax for for Bootstrap, whether it's npm install Bootstrap okay. four, npm install Bootstrap five. But the, the principle okay. will be we're just going to tell npm what to go get, and it's going to go get it for us. And every time there's an update, npm can handle that for us. We just say npm upgrade, and it will take the, you know, maybe it's four things we depend on, maybe it's jQuery and one or two other things, but whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whenever we're ready, we just say npm update, and it's going to go fetch the latest versions of everything for us. So that is dependency management. That's cool. Okay. In NPM world, and indeed in reality, which is always nice when NPM world and reality overlap, there are actually two very distinct types of dependency when you're a developer. So the traditional dependency we all think of is things my code needs to run. jQuery, Bootstrap moment.js, is.js, right? When we use those in our code, if they're not there, our code stops working. There are things our code needs to run. But there's another type of dependency called the developer dependency, and there are things I need to create my code. There are tools I use to help me make my code. 
But once the code is created, they're not needed anymore, right? And the best example for that would be something like QUnit for our testing. While we're writing the code, QUnit is a really vital tool to help us not create buggy, poopy code. But the moment I publish the code and I give it to to Alistair to go use in his, um, what's that butler Alfred? app he uses? Alfred. You know, when, Al- uh-huh. when Alistair goes to use the code in Alfred, he doesn't need QUnit. It doesn't make the code go. Mm. It's only used to make the okay. code. So that's okay. a developer dependency. And Node.js allows you to tell it, I want this as a developer dependency, or I want this as something to make my code go. And it will keep those as separate things. And so when you use Node to publish your finished code, it will not include all the stuff that shouldn't be included. It will only include the stuff to run it. Would you put the things that help you create and ship your code in your .getignore file? No, there's no need to. So they so Git will contain the full specification so that someone can choose. So when someone clones the Git repository, they can choose to to tell npm to install the dev dependencies, and then you can start tweaking the code and submitting pull requests. Okay, yeah, I guess you would need that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to put everything in Git because Git again is a developer tool. But npm is going to as well as saving stuff to Git, which is a developer-y sort of place, we're going to publish our finished work to the Node repository so that anyone in the world can go npm space install space xkpasswd. So um, I actually happen to have installed Node uh, last week uh, huh. for <laughs> other reasons. Uh, and because uh, I've, been, I've been actually reading ahead on the uh, linter topic ah, yes. and messing around with Helma. And... Um, the thing I noticed was it installed this giant pile of modules, yes, it node did. modules. And I thought, well, I don't really need those up in my Git repo. So I put those in my uh, Git ignore. Good. We're about to we'll come, put a pin in that for later. I will describe. So you commit to Git the definition of what you want. You don't commit to Git the actual modules. Okay. So we'll okay. we come across the details. I mean, it was 8,431 items, and I thought, I really don't want those up there. Correct. Your, your instinct okay. was 100% spot on. What you want up there okay. is the JSON file that says what it is that your project needs. Oh. So there's a JSON file we'll be seeing later that just basically says this project needs these dev dependencies and these real dependencies. And then you just type npm space install, it reads the JSON and goes off and fetches all the bits and bobs. Oh, oh, that's good. So when I try to use it on another computer, it'll I'll I'll run that and it'll go get what I need. Correct. So literally the one command okay. npm space install and it'll just go, "Oh, what do I need? Oh, you need this, this, this and this. Roger, off to fetch it for you." And you'll just watch it all oh, download. Sweet. Okay. It's it's I I know I'm getting ahead. You are getting ahead, but this here, is but cool, no. right? So <laughs> for the first milestone in our project, which is to translate the Perl module that exists now at crypt colon h colon colon hsxkpasswd, translate that to a JavaScript module, we're going to need developer tools. So we're actually going to be using dev dependencies first, which I guess makes sense because you've got to write code before you can use code. So the first thing we're going to be doing with NPM is getting our dev dependencies, specifically our linter, which is going to be ESLint, our testing framework, which I'm still procrastinating about. I'm sure I'll start procrastinating soon. I have until we're finished with ESLint. Uh, <laughs> then I have to make my decision. And our document generator, which I am mildly procrastinating about, but I am 90% sure it's going to be documentation.js. So they are going to be our dev dependencies and NPM is going to manage those for us. Okay. When we're done writing our new code, we're going to want to publish our code. And for that, we're going to need something we haven't even come across as a concept yet called a bundler or a packager. That is also a dev dependency, and that is going to take our raw code and turn it into a nicely packaged, that is the word for it, deliverable, which it will either, well, one of the formats will be a Node.js module published to the big public library, and another version will be a single self-contained JavaScript file that you can include in a browser. So you can use a packager to take a copy of everything you need and squish it into one JavaScript file. 
And then you just give people the oh, one really? JavaScript file and it has a copy of jQuery and a copy of Bootstrap and it has everything just all nicely oh. self-contained. Oh, interesting. So that is why, for oh. example, if you were to go to podfeed.com, it uses jQuery, but you will not find anywhere in the headers a place that imports jQuery. What you will find is an import to some cryptically named file.js, which is what PHP or sorry, what WordPress's packager has done. And it's basically found all the JavaScript you need and collected it into one file called something, something.js. So we're going to use an open source tool called Webpack. Um, I'm still procrastinating mildly on that because for years I used one called Rollup, which I kind of sort of like, but it's a bit abandonware-ish, whereas Webpack's getting all the TLC and I like Rollup, but I probably should do Webpack. So I'm, I'm arguing <laughs> with myself on that one, but I think Webpack is going to win. We have to go forward. We have to go no, forward. No abandonware. Yeah. yeah, so I think... So I think just yeah. this week, you made me get rid of a plugin because you said, I don't think they're updating that one, Allison. And I went, boom, got rid of it, even though it did something I needed. Yeah, so I think I think Webpack is going to win over my beloved roll-up, but there we go. So that's the first thing we want from NPM. Manage our dependencies for us, please. And that in itself is wonderful. That That is just so much less stress in our lives. So that, if it did nothing else, I'd already love it. But it does more. Wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> The next thing that's going to do for us is it's going to allow us to automate our developer tasks. So every time you run, say, your test suite, or every time you run your documentation generator, you have to run a command with a whole bunch of arguments. And you're going to figure those arguments out once. And you or I, without the help of a tool, would then go and shove those into Text Expander, which would work for us but they will be useless to someone else who downloads the Git repository and tries to do it themselves. So what we actually want to do is capture the steps to run a test and give them a name. And then we would just say npm space run space the name of our thing. And it will know what to do. In other words, we will have something npm space run space docs and it will call the documentation generator with all the right arguments. And we're going to have one npm space run space test. That's going to call whatever test suite I decide to procrastinate my way towards. And that will generate the final out, or that will do our tests. And finally, when it's time to publish the code, it'll probably be one calling webpack. But we will have one called npm space run space build. That will take our code and produce the output, the publishable finished product. So let me let me back you up a little mm-hmm. bit here. So you said that these are arguments you have to pass to your documentation generator. I'm not sure I know what you mean. Okay, so we're going to use a tool that's going to take specially formatted comments in our source code and produce documentation. Right. So that tool is probably going to be documentation.js. So that's going to be a command line tool. And we're going to have to call that tool and we're going to have to tell it where our source files are, where we'd like the output to be, whether we want this option this way or this option that way. And you can automate that. And we're going to automate that so that all we have to do is say npm space run space docs and it will actually call the appropriate command with the appropriate bits and bobs. Gotcha. Okay. Basically a very fancy alias. But very useful. And because it's baked into NPM, when someone does a git clone, they will just do NPM space install. Boom, all the dependencies come down. NPM space run space test. Test fine. They're then going to tweak the code, run NPM space run space test, get it not to fail any tests, and then do a pull request. And if they do a pull request, okay. and if I do an NPM space run space test and their pull request fails, I'm going to tell their pull request, go pound some sand. <laughs> You know, that it just put a pin in this. Something we haven't talked about is when you are the owner, or the lead developer on some code, and a pull request comes in, I don't know what process you go through to figure out whether or not to a- admit it Well, to, to allow the pull request. Unless you have stuff like a test suite in place, it's very hard to say that. You would basically say, I'll have a look at it and see what I think, which is not very scientific at all. Well, but, and that also means reading through diff files somewhere to figure out what the, what they changed and then trying to run it to see what the possible actions that that caused are and whether it did what you wanted it to do, whether it opened up any other problems. 
That seems hard. It is hard. Is that back to why the tests are important? That's right back to why the tests are important. So the very first thing you have with a test suite is regression testing. Did this change break something that didn't used to be broken? Right? Okay. If the test suite still passes, then it hasn't broken something we fixed before. Now, I bet I'm never going to be allowed to have a pull request accepted. (laughs) Well, no, because you're going to be running the test suite too. So you're never even going to think to submit a broken pull request. Why would you? Oh, you just think I'm ever going to write something that doesn't fail the the, oh. the test. That's 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 your your blind faith in me. But of course, it's going to fail the test. Everything fails the test. But then you keep tweaking it until it passes the test. You know the way you always say, yeah, "How do I know when I'm done?" I know when I'm done when <laughs> when um, my test suite says zero errors and go yay, Git space commit, boom, and then I can go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be Someday. using we're going to be using npm to automate our developer tasks like testing, develop, running the docs, and doing the build. Um, Node itself is actually going to be the brains powering the test suite, right? The test suite runs our code, throws values at it, and sees what the answer is. Well, it's JavaScript code, so you run JavaScript code with a JavaScript engine. So of course, the Node engine is going to be running the code to do the actual tests on it. So previously we used a browser to do QUnit. Well, we may or may not be using QUnit, but we will definitely not be using the browser. It will be all on the command line and it will be all through Node as the brains of the operation. I do have to ask you, are you just trolling Jill, listener Jill, right now when you you ask, when you're talking about what you're going to choose for uh, testing? (laughs) Well, no, it will definitely, I think Jill was just, keen that it be test-driven development and it will certainly be test-driven development i'm not sure right. i'm not sure it has to be q unit but okay but i think she, hopefully she'll give us some advice i hope so i'm certainly keen to take some advice because i'm very i have four candidates that look equally as good to me um which is very annoying because i find it hard enough to decide between two things i have to pick between four um, the other thing we want to use NPM for is bundling and publishing the final module. So it, this is a section in the show notes, but I th- we've pretty well covered this, right? We're going to say NPM space run space build. It's going to take all of our dependencies, collapse them all into a single file, and then publish that for us. There's all sorts of conventions around that, which we'll come to in due course. But at the end of the day, it'll be as easy to import hsxkpasswd as it is to import jQuery because jQuery is a bundled module. Moment.js is a bundled module. We want to emulate what the big boys do. We want our stuff to be just like theirs. Just like the big girls. Just like the big girls. And if you look inside their Git repositories, you will find probably a configuration file for either Rollup or Webpack, probably Webpack. Um, And so they're, they're all using the same tools we'll be using. So one of the things you'll notice when you start to open other people's Git repositories, you're going to start recognizing the config files. You're going to start seeing something Hmm. called package.json and go, ah, they're using Node.js. And you're going to start seeing eslint.conf and you're going to go, ah, they're using eslint. You're going to start recognizing all these tools you're used to. Because at the moment, you know, a lot of the stuff in someone else's Git repository looks like bump, right? It looks like, what is this clutter (laughs) doing here? It's not clutter, it's developer tools. Right, and the cool stuff is usually hidden in a folder called SRC for source. Um, but all the other stuff is still important. And then finally, assuming we get round to it, I think goal milestone six, I think, is to write a new command line in uh, getting rid of the Perl one and replacing it with Node.js. If we do that, it'll be Node.js, obviously. So that that is the places we'll be meeting Node.js and npm. So that's all the theory done. But I didn't want to end this installment with just me talking theory. So um, I'm going to do a little, um, we're going to do a little project. We're going to write my first Node.js project, and I'm going to get you to fix another typo in the show notes because I decided to make my tool more cutesy. So the show notes say days to Christmas. You're going to change that to sleeps to Christmas. I changed it everywhere else. I changed it everywhere further down. I forgot it in the heading. So... We're just going to write ourselves a little Node.js project to sort of show Node.js in operation. Right, right now? Right now. We get to write something? Just going to write We're something. We're not just posting in the, in, the, uh, in the barn? We're getting on the horse already? We're straight on the horse. Yeah, this is a very weird installment compared to how we did Git. We're not doing a six-week, st- you know, a 10-episode arc, and I'm not making you sit in the barn. We're going straight out of the barn, and we have no idea what we're doing. What could possibly go wrong? 
So yay. You can download for pretty much any operating system I've ever come across, Node.js from nodejs.org. Um, I am going to be using the long-term support or LTS version. There are always two versions on the go. There's the current stable, which is the shiniest, the shiniest not too cutting edge. The shiniest stable, basically, is what the other version is. And that changes a lot. And so features come and go a lot. Whereas the LTS version is a nice stable point. That it will there will be a new LTS at some stage, but the LTS moves at a slower pace. So you can install either because anything newer than the LTS will have all the features I'm going to use. So I'm okay. using the baseline. So even if you go cutting edge, everything we do in the series you'll be able to follow along with because I'm at the baseline and you you might be higher up the hill than me, but you're definitely not. You can't be older than the long term support. So I went out and installed Node, but I didn't do it from the website, and see, I didn't see an option that said anything about LTS. No. I did answer quite a few questions, and maybe one of them was whether I wanted LTS or cutting edge, but I am apparently on the cutting edge version. Okay. That's interesting, because when I go to Node.js.org, I see two giant big buttons. One says LTS. And- I didn't go to the web. Ah. I didn't do it on the web. I did it... Uh, through brew or something I, like npm install or something but, but no that would be a circular I wouldn't have dependency no you couldn't have yeah yeah it must have been through brew could or I something have, could i have brew installed it hypothetically brew could do almost anything <laughs> wouldn't surprise me <laughs> i think that's what i must have done it just well come on it's right there brew install and it was there yeah. well, so we'll see how this all works out for me no you're fine right the only thing to. you can't be is behind the lts because we're actually going to be using some pretty new features uh, okay. Can you roll back to LTS? I'm sure if you, yeah, I'm sure if you, it's a PKG file. So I'm sure if you double click the installer, it'll do the right thing. It's always, it's always, I've always just double clicked the installer and it's just gone and done its magic and it's always been right. So, well, you know, I'm kind of more of a command line girl myself. <laughs> double clicking packages, you know. Jeez. I am sure that we could, cur- we could use curl to download the PKG file and then use, there are OS 10 commands for um, doing the packagers from the command line instead of double clicking on them. Anyway, okay. the point being, I don't really care what version of Node you install as long as it's at least LTS. If you have at least LTS, everything we do in this series will work. I'm not going to use okay. any features that are newer than LTS. So in Node.js, I like to think of it as like a multiverse. So you know the way, like. In our modern cosmology, we have like universes. Our universe consists of multiple completely independent universes. Well, in Node.js world, everything consists of projects. And those projects are completely independent of each other, which is the absolute joy of it, which is why we can have, you know, version 2 of ESLint over here and version 8 of ESLint over there. They're just, it's literally a folder with a file named package.json. That's it. That is a Node.js project. A folder with a JSON file that tells Node, what am I? So package.json is basically define the universe. What are my dependencies? What are my dev dependencies? All that kind of stuff. And that's just in package.json. And as long as you're in a folder with a package.json, you're in a little universe and you can just say npm space install space whatever you want, and it will install it into that folder. And anything you do in that folder will have zero effect on anything else you're doing on your computer. So that's why it's so wonderful. You can you could just play away in there. And okay. it's a little island all upon itself. So over time, your package.json file will get bigger and bigger and bigger as we start to do more and more cool things. Uh, but we're going to start with a very simple package.json. And you can actually write them yourself, right? You can open your favorite text editor and create your own package.json. But you don't even have to do that. NPM will hold your little hand, ask you a game of 20 questions, and create the package.json for you. And you do that by going in. So I want you to make a folder named pbs127a-s2xmas. Sleeps to Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And change into that folder in your terminal. And then run npm space init. And that just basically says... Oh, it's asking me a bunch of questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's often a game of 20 questions. So the first uh, thing it's going to ask us um, is, what would you like to name your project? 
and it will guess the name of the folder, but I don't want the prefix, so S2Xmas is what I called mine, and I would suggest the same. It doesn't matter what you call it. Um, next, it's going to ask us for a version number. Um, Node absolutely positively insists on semantic versioning, which is one of the reasons I taught you semantic versioning, or semver. And the initial suggestion of 1.0.0 is perfectly reasonable, so why not take it? Next, it's going to ask you to describe your project, and you can absolutely leave this blank. But for the sake of your own sanity, when you later find a folder and you're going, I wonder what that is, it's really <laughs> helpful if you've written at least one line, at least one sentence to yourself to tell you what it is that you're messing around with. So sleeps to Christmas calculator is what I put in as my wonderfully descriptive description. Okay. Then it's going to ask you for the path of a JavaScript file that's going to act as a project's quote-unquote entry point. This is a very vague term because Node can be used for many, many things. Basically, what is the file that makes my project do whatever it is my project does? So for us, it's going to be a JavaScript file that tells us how many sleeps there are till Christmas, and I'm going to call it s2xmas.mjs. And you've never seen MJS, MJS before. And I'm going to say, mm-hmm. put a pin in that till the next installment, and then you're going to wish you never asked. <laughs> Okay, that's a little extreme. There is a really good reason it has to be MJS. Mainly it won't work if it isn't. Um, The next thing it does, because it's trying to encourage us to be responsible developers, is it actually asks us to tell it how to test this project. We're not going to have a test plan, so we're just going to leave it blank. And I will point out later how passive-aggressive NPM can be. So it will perfectly happily take nothing as an answer, but it it will... needless a bit later and then the last thing it's going to say is just some metadata and this metadata is really important later when we come to actually publish xkpasswd to the world for now we can just leave it blank frankly but it will ask us for well what's the git repository where people can go and do their pull requests what keywords does this package have so people can find it in the npm library uh, and then the last thing it wants is, uh, so, open source, yeah? What license is this code under? And it suggests the ISC license, which is a particularly open sourcey open source license. It basically, okay. it's basically the BSD license saying you can use this code either in part or all of it for either commercial or not commercial purposes. Basically, yeah, I'm giving this to the world. It is an extremely open license. You can change that to GPL or something if you prefer. But I'm, I'm generally, I'm, I'm a very much a BSD sort of person, so ISC is fine by me. And at okay. that stage, it's finished asking us questions, but it's not actually written anything to our hard drive yet. It's it now going to show us the package.json it's built on our behalf. Oh, yeah. And it says name S2Xmas, version 1.0.0, description sleeps to Christmas calculator. There goes. Now, okay. now notice under scripts how passive-aggressive it's been. <laughs> Echo, no test specified. Error. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically gone and put in a test command for us, and the test command is error. There is no test command. <laughs> well, actually, if we say npm space test, it should, have, it should say something, right? It's well, it could really say not defined, but instead it says error, no test specified. It's I, I okay. like it. I mean, I, I like that it nudge it nudges developers to have a test plan. I, I like it, right. but it is being a bit, you know, big brothery, not big brothery, okay, paternalistic perhaps, Sledge, sledgehammery. Yeah, it's not quite sledgehammer. It's quite gentle, but it is, you know, that sort of that knowing look that mothers have. Smack up the side of the head. Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> I'll be ashamed of you if you don't. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that is that we have now initialized the new universe. It is empty and waiting for us to do something cool with it. So the first... So like you say, all I have in my directory now is I have package.json. Correct. So that is a completely empty Node.js package, project. That is so our we didn't really project. create a file with the extension.mjs. We just said you're going to need to get that later. Yeah, we basically declared our intention that... When this thing okay. is ready to actually do something, it'll be there. We can change okay. our mind, right? Because that's an editable file. So if we change our mind later, that that's a silly name. We can just go in and, ch- and edit the JSON file. But that is that is our intention at the moment. So the first thing I'm going to demonstrate to you is the joy of installing a dependency. So 
calculating the number of days till Christmas. Well, I could do date math in my own code, but you know I'm not going to. You know where we're going here. We are off to Moment.js land. But we're not off to find the CDN link or anything like that. We're going to simply tell Node, I want to use Moment. npm space install space minus minus save Moment. You're going to hit that command. You're going to see it do a whole bunch of stuff. And what it's actually going to have done is three things. The first thing it's going to have done is downloaded the code for Moment.js and it's going to have saved it in a subfolder called Moment inside a folder named node underscore modules. Everything you install with npm install goes into node underscore modules. And that is the folder you must add, or you should, unless you have some sort of self-loathing, you should add to your git ignore file. What you don't have some self You do not want Git. Because if, if you add all of that stuff to Git, every time you do a Git clone, you're going to be waiting for half the universe to download. Right? And it's going to be versioning half the universe as well. So you don't want to do that. So you add node underscore modules to your Git ignore file. But what should be saved to Git is, of course, package.json. So what's going on? With, well, okay, park package.json for a second. The second thing it's done is made another new file called package-lock.json. This is a piece of metadata that is very, very important for doing cool developer stuff later. Two things I would like you to know about that file for now. Don't edit it. Node manages that file for you. Don't mess with it. Do add it to Git. So do a git add okay. on package-lock.json, never edit it. It does magic. Okay. It, it, it helps Node.js do its magic. It's, it's a metadata file. It's basically Node's little brain for itself. So you edit package.json to declare your intentions, and package-lock.json contains information about what Node actually did based on your request. So anyway, it's, we'll learn about it a little bit more in detail, but the key thing, do go to Git with it, do not edit it. And then the last thing that npm install minus minus save does is it updates package.json to list moment as a dependency. So if you now look at the package.json that was created, it now has a new entry, dependencies, which is a hash table or a um, ah, an object, whatever we want to call it, and it says that we should have moment at version 2.29.1. Okay, hang on. I lost you. How did you... Oh, that was in our... So it, it has updated our, our package.json file. file. So I just, in the show notes, it just says cat package.json to print out its content. Okay. So at the bottom of the file, there's now an extra entry yeah. called dependencies. And it contains hmm. moment. And it specifies the version of moment we would like, which is 2.29.1 with a caret before it. The caret means, please feel free to update this later without me explicitly telling you so. If you wanted, if you wanted to glue moment at version 2.29.1, you'd take the caret out. But by default, oh, Node really? says, yeah, 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 I'll keep updating that for you. Interesting. So if you took that out, uh, Node.js would never change that. It would never change that. And it would forevermore, you would be using the old version of Moment. And it will keep, uh, the, basically the Node.js library keeps all the old versions. So you could keep doing that until 2060. And it will keep running that old code just fine. But you shouldn't, because then any bugs are fossilized forever. Now, it's actually a little bit more clever. Well, so should we take it off on Moment? Actually, no, Moment is fossilized itself. They've no, no, but no, no, sorry. The carrot means do update me. If you take the carrot out, it means okay. leave me where I am. So the carrot is right. Okay. So by default, it says keep rolling the updates. But actually, I'm being a little, I'm, I'm fudging over some detail. It will never go to version three without your insistence. So the carrot basically means I will happily accept 2.30. I will happily accept 29.2, but don't go to 3.0 without me. Because in Semver, 3.0 hmm. allows breaking changes. So that's why Node insists on Semver. So basically, I will keep you up to date, but I will not do a breaking change, which is really good default behavior. So again, Node is correct. Right, right, yeah. So we have now downloaded Node.js. We have now downloaded Moment.js. 
so we could use it in our own code. Well, let's write this s2xmas.mjs file. So it's quite a short little JavaScript file. It's basically import moment from moment. We'll learn a lot more about that next week. But that is the command that ES6 packages use to read other people's code into your code. Import. So you import moment. So no more script tag. From moment. <laughs> yeah. So we want the thing called moment exported by the package we've downloaded named moment. So moment publishes one thing, which it also calls moment. Moment could publish 20 things, okay. which it could okay. call okay. boogers and whatever it wants. But usually okay. one package publishes one thing and it usually names it the same as itself. So you do very, very often end up with import jQuery from jQuery and import moment from moment. But they, they could be different. So we just, that's it, right? That is how we now bring other people's code into our work. We just say import moment from moment. So const now equals moment. If today is the 25th, it's Christmas. Console.log, no more sleeps. It's Christmas. Happy smiley face, Christmas tree presents. Else we do a bit of date math and we print out the number of sleeps till Christmas. And we actually are clever enough to check if it's after the 25th. And if it is, we add a whole other year into our calculation. Oh, So we can now run the command by simply saying node space s2xmas.mjs and it will print out, as of today, here in Ireland, 70 sleeps till Christmas. And in 49 minutes, it will say 69 sleeps till Christmas. Ooh. But that assumes you go to sleep. Yeah, it assumes I go to sleep at a civilized time. This is an invalid assumption. But anyway. Uh, oh, I like it. He's put a little sleepy emoji in there too. And a, Christmas and a little tree. Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a very playful mood when I wrote these show notes. Um, <laughs> but we can actually go one better because on a POSIX-based operating system, you can use something called a shebang line to tell, a, to tell the operating system how to run a script. So you don't have to say node space. So we can, inside the script, tell it that it's a node script. And we do that with the shebang line, slash user, slash bin, slash env, space, node. That is the node shebang line. And so if we pop that into the start of our script, and then if we chmod plus x the file to make it executable, then we can just run it, dot slash 2sx.mjs. So we've now made a little executable file. Shoot, I, I irritated something. Um... <laughs> I can't remember how to get out of out of uh, less what colon uh, no colon queue there it is okay so you, you so what did it do I, I, sorry I got distracted there it, once we've put the shebang line in then what can we do we need to we need to chmod plus exit to make it executable otherwise the operating system will right. go well I'm not running that you didn't tell me I could because I'm, okay. I'm a Unixy operating system and I'm all secure so once we've told the operating system it's allowed to run it, it will basically look at the shebang line to figure out how to run it, and then it will run the file through Node, which means it will just tell us how many sleeps there are to Christmas. So you've now made ourselves a terminal <laughs> command using moment.js. Okay, that's crazy. And easy. Now I could put that into... Um something i could do a, a cron job to have it run that every morning you could you could have it like, you know use the say command to make your mac speak it to you <laughs> you're probably going to take the smileys out i have no idea what the say command will do with the smiley face <laughs> Which actually you'd probably read the emoji wouldn't it you'd think it would you'd think it would the mac is usually clever okay so our first milestone is to get um, a version of XKPassWD as a JavaScript module, and we want it to be as easy to, exp to easy, as easy to consume as moment.js was in our example above, which means that we're going to be writing ES6 modules. Uh, ES6 modules are what makes the import command work. Um, and so we need to learn how they work. So that's kind of what the next installment is going to focus on. What that that import keyword is doing some serious heavy lifting. What is it doing? And how do I make something that the import keyword can import? Right? How do I write my code? It, no surprise, the opposite of import is export. So if you want your code to be importable, you have to define exports. But there's and a why, and why are we gonna make it importable? So that other people can consume 
our code as easily as we just consumed okay. Moment.js. Okay. It, it's a way of making our code. Right. So the biggest joy is that the people who wrote Moment.js made hundreds and hundreds of variables. But their namespace is 100% isolated from us. We can reuse those same variable names and they will never clash mm -hmm. because the import keyword sets up a separate little island universe so that all of their variables are out of scope. Oh, nice, nice. So that is the power of this, which means that when we start to use import and export, we can name our variables anything we want. We can be as dumb about it as we want and users of our code never have to see our stupidity. Now, we're not going to write dumb code because we have to read our own code. So we're going to continue to write good code, but we're doing it purely for our benefit, which is nice. Okay. So right. there is a backstory here, right? ES6, so that's version 6 of the JavaScript specification, is the first time that there was an official way of packaging JavaScript. But packaging is really important. So people have needed to package JavaScript way before ES6 was released. So everyone went and invented their own wheels. So there is not one standard for packaging JavaScript modules. There are old standards followed by the new official standard. And the reason that we have to use the latest version of Node.js is because one of the people who invented their own standard before there was an official standard is Node. So older versions of Node use a different packaging standard. They don't use the keyword import. They use the keyword require. And the reason I can't fully hide the history from you is because when you Google stuff, you need to recognize everything you should ignore. You need to be able to look at an answer on Stack Overflow and say, that was true once. Not for me, it isn't. I think we've run into that before. I know a lot of answers to my JavaScript question. JavaScript questions come with get element by ID, and we never use that. Yeah, because we have other tools, right? Well, we That's chose to use jQuery. Is, is is yeah. So it's a subtly different but similar thing. And so in this case, there is lots and lots and lots of sample code using the other package managers. So Node.js's package manager called CommonJS. Or there's one called Universal Package. <laughs> U, I think it's U, UDM, UPM. There's, a un, there's one called Universal something or other. Uh, there's all these other packaging stand, pseudo standards, packaging solutions before there was a standard. And no one wanted to make their own, but there was nothing official. So what can you do? You had to do something. You had to do something. So we ended up with a bunch of somethings. We're going to learn about them so that we can recognize them so we can know, go to the next Google result. This is old. We're not okay. Going to use it. Okay. So that's what we're doing next time. So, uh, we're learning about these ES6 modules. I want to make a, a couple of comments here. Um, I told Bart before we started recording that I was concerned that I wouldn't get to talk in this episode at all because the show notes were so well written that I couldn't come up with any questions when I was reading them. Is I was reading along and I would think, oh, you know what? Oh, right here, I'm going to insert this question. Oh, shoot. He answers it in the next <laughs> paragraph. Oh, wait, this is. But I'm, I'm telling you that. Uh, only because I want you to realize if you forgot anything he said, the show notes are spectacular. They're always good, but they're especially good this week that they're just, I don't know, it's just, you were on fire writing these. They're, it's really cohesive and, and well thought out. And I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I'm all blushing now, but uh, I've been wanting to write <laughs> these show notes for about three years. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I like that. The other thing is, uh, we kind of put out the call explaining what we were doing in the um, in phase two, and mentioned again our Slack mm -hmm. at podfeet podfeet slash Slack. There's a channel called PBS, and whether you're listening to this. 15 minutes after I hit publish, or whether you listen to this three years from now, you'll probably find people in there willing to talk about it and answer questions and ask questions and, and share ideas because the, the community is on fire right now. I mean, they are like, all right, let's go. This is going to be so fun. I mean, you got Mike Price and Michael Westby and, and, uh, and, uh, Dorothy and people are just, uh, just going crazy in there. Dave, Hey, they're, they're all excited about this. So uh, jump in podfeet.com slash slack at, uh, and the uh, PBS channel. A lot of fun. And while you're in the Slack, there's lots of other cool stuff in there. One of, one of the things I adore most about getting to work with you is that you have, you have assembled around you an amazing community. 
And I, I put that down to oh. you because the internet, <laughs> the internet is full of amazing people and the opposite of that. And it takes a certain type of talent to be like a magnet for the good people. You're like, the internet is all these like iron filings and sawdust. And you're just this magnet going around finding all the iron filings and pulling them into your slack and into your various <laughs> other communities. And so it's great that I just get to come along and say, oh, look, people and they're wonderful. So, uh, you know, Tom Merritt once said, you get the community you deserve. And, and, uh, and I feel humbled by that statement. But we haven't had to moderate, Bart. No one has ever been thrown out. I was going to say because nobody's done any. I mean, sometimes people like skate a little close to the edge, you know, and it's like, eh, you know, how about not that? You know, it's just like gentle warning. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm cool. It, it's, and that's been, I can count on one hand how many times we've even had to do that. So it's a, uh, um, and, and it's wide open. I don't restrict who's allowed to come in. Mm-hmm. Only people who are super fun come in. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's selection effect of the best possible kind. So yeah, definitely had two thumbs up for me for the community. The, the Nasilla Castaways rock. <laughs> very good well this is fun uh i knew this was going to be fun but it was i'm i'm charged up yeah ready to go this is great well anyway until the next time we speak remember folks lots and lots and lots of happy computing if you learn as much from bart each week as i do i'd like you to go over to let's-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.